If you have a financial question for Pega Bruce, you can call this number 24-7-188-6 Advice. You can email your question as well. You to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But today, you can also call or text our studio line, 651-461-9226. Right now, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning. Hello, Peg. Thank you, Denny Long. Appreciate the kind uh, introduction. Hey, Peg, um, our topic today, I think, is a really, really good one. But when, we, when I first saw the outline, I really had to think about it because what, what we're going to talk about today is why people spend too much. Why, why do people overspend? And statistically, when I look at, at the national numbers, I know that people do overspend, but I don't see that so much in, in my world because it's not our clients, or it's, it's seldom our clients, I, I should say. The people that, 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 that consult us and, and engage us and want to work with us really tend to be people that are already doing well, but because they're conscientious, they recognize that maybe they could be doing better. We tend not to get the person that's got a, you know, a lot of credit card debt and is struggling paycheck to paycheck and is looking for someone to save them. That person just doesn't reach out. So I wasn't sure how to handle this because I don't have a lot of personal experience with it, but I think it's important that we do it because even though it's not the people that we're working with on a daily basis, statistically, we know that they're out there, and I think we've got some ideas that maybe we can help people deal with it and do a better job and not overspend. Yeah, I I, I would agree, Bruce, that our clients um, have the wherewithal, you know, to maybe splurge a little or save a little bit more. But here's what I see, and it's not even in the outline. Um, we have couples that one is a spender and one is yep. a saver. So I I was going to talk a little bit, too, about that within this outline, because I think a lot of people listening, um, and actually, uh, they they are compatible. So everybody out there listening and thinking, oh, she's a spender, or he's the spender, or uh, vice versa, in our practice, they actually really do get along and have lots of long-term relationships. So I want to address that too, Bruce, if, if you're okay with it. Absolutely. In fact, my, my world, my, my wife is a spender. I'm a saver. She wouldn't disagree with that. She wouldn't get mad at me for saying it. She knows, she knows it's true. And, yeah, we get along great. There's no problems. Um, but I, you're right. You're absolutely 1,000% right. We get a lot of those. So our tendency is uh, our tendency is to to really spend a lot of times more than we make for all sorts of reasons. You know, number one, not on the outline either, but I believe that the uh, media has helped us become more spenders than savers, and encouraging us to live for today and. And you and I know that we deal with clients in, you know, uh, economic times. You know, when times are good, you know, people tend to spend more. When times are bad, they tend to, uh, you know, save more money. But this whole spending thing is kind of hardwired into our brains. 
And believe it or not, it's learned, I think, from a very young age. And so um, I was privy to having a household where my dad was a spender and my mom was a really big saver. And, I, you know, when I was little, I don't think I witnessed that as much. But um, as I got older, I could tell, and it was never like a, a, a struggle in front of us, but you could just tell that my dad was the one who said he's going to live for today, and my mom would be kind of like uh, squandering pennies to make sure that we had money for the long term. So, um, but often it, tr- it gets triggered by an event. You know, so if somebody has a job loss or anything that's negative in your lifetime, I actually call those pity parties. I have my own little pity party. And part of it is I might just go reward myself with something. And if you if you can't afford it, you know, you actually make yourself happier uh, for a short period of time. And then that regret uh, tends to jump in, Bruce. Yeah, and and I I think of two things here. You know, I'm sure there's some people listening right now that are thinking, well, are you financial advisors or are you therapists, you know, or psychologists? And the reality is, as financial advisors, sometimes we do kind of wear hats of therapist or or psychiatrist or marriage counselor uh, because, again, this is a very personal financial planning. Financial advising is not just numbers and math. A lot of it is happiness in life and what makes you tick and what are, what are your goals and objectives based on your core values and, and what's important to you. So we wear a lot of different hats to do our job, um, number one. Number two, you know, when, I, when, you, when we talk about overspending, I would even break that into two categories, Peg, and this isn't in the outline either. I was thinking about this this morning. There, we see overspending to the point that people run up bad debt, balances on credit cards, high interest, non-deductible debt, buying things that don't appreciate in value that they really don't need, that just maybe makes them feel good. But there's also overspending to the extent that maybe you don't have uh, balances on your credit cards, but because you're spending so much for lifestyle, you're not saving and investing for the future. So someone might say, I don't have a spending problem. There's no balance on my credit cards. And I might say, yeah, but you don't have any money in the bank either or an IRA or any, any savings and investments. So there, there's different degrees, I guess, of overspending. Well, and we actually kind of we, we kind of call that lifestyle creep, C-R-E-E-P, like lifestyle creep, because you got to con- you got to consider your future income, but also your expenses. And so kind of our mental wiring is is great at imaging this future income, but it's very poor at estimating growth and expenses. And so how often do people spend their bonuses before the money even hits their account? I put on the outline, always, always. And, or do you buy a car that maybe you go to the, the store and you're looking at cars and then they say, oh, this is just a little bit more money monthly you know, you can afford this bigger, better car. And cash flow-wise, yeah, maybe you can, but then everything else ripples, right? The cost of the insurance, you know, the the um, the maintenance of the, the car, the truck, you know, and those kinds of things. So I think we're so good as humans in justifying whatever we want to justify. 
it's just that you know it's just that the the backside of it is where the problems come in and you know a lot of times people will buy a lottery ticket and hope that they're going to win and and then they actually you know have they're living their life as if maybe they are going to win but the odds are so against them so the point i just want to make here is that we tend to be ahead of ourselves if we do see a windfall Secondly, and this is one that we deal with all the time, um, you know, retirees have to adjust to a life without a paycheck coming in twice a month. And as much as I believe we can easily help people create a new paycheck, that's not hard. It's just that some people think that when the stock market is really, really good, they're out there just spending to beat the bandit. I mean, they're just out going, okay, we got extra now, but they, they kind of tend to forget that that extra is going to have to be for years in the future and that the market isn't always good. So when the market isn't good, we also have clients that want to retract from their spending. But if you truly have a financial plan like we create for our clients, you should have the same income you know, in each year, whether the market's good or bad. And, it, and that includes setting this realistic budget. And I know the last couple of weeks, Bruce, we talked budget, 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 but it is the foundation of having long-term success, especially when it comes to cash flow. So, so far we've talked about, okay, why do people overspend? A lot of this is learned behavior when we're young and or, Maybe just the way we're naturally wired, and I've seen that too. Uh, kids, you know, clients' kids, same upbringing, you know, same uh, way of raising their kids. They get kids that are, you know, one is a spender, one is a saver. So how much of that is just in your in your wiring and in your DNA? Um, so we, we we talked about that. We talked about lifestyle creep, and you, you might call that trying to keep up with the Joneses. Or I always hear the expression, fake it till you make it. Spend money like you're, you know, big time because you're going to be big time. Um, what are other reasons that people overspend other than what we've talked about so far? Well, we haven't brought up the word willpower. And the APA, which is the American uh, Psychological Association, compares willpower to an actual muscle that that can become tired. So as an as a as willpower, it begins to lose its strength. Um, people who see willpower as a finite often make impulse decisions, start as, uh, such as overspending, procrastinating, eating foods fast. So, eating fast food. So, Bruce, I think that ties to what you said that some of our makeup, we actually can't help it. Can we change and learn and um, maybe mimic people who are successful? in uh, controlling willpower. It's no different than you say you're going to go to the gym and then you go once and you don't go again. And it, it, it just, everything we do, Bruce, ties into other things that we coach our clients in uh, is like habits, right? So even with spending, it is a habit. And it's something that if you start, you want to make a change, you actually have to take those baby steps and follow a process. And, and maybe you have to get help. You know, um, and then once again, the media just helps us let us know that when I'm online and oh, I, I am, I love this 
searching online and shopping. You don't have to fill your basket. But I'm getting these messages like almost sold out. The last two are in the store. There's never going to be any more. Well, that actually motivates people uh, to start spending. So how do you actually build up that self-control is you know, there's there's lots of things in life that you have to make lots of decisions, and they're not small ones. They're big decisions, but maybe don't make a lot of them all at the same time, and give uh, the time that's due to making that decision, and don't uh, don't feel bad if you need to get some, you know, some help, and then track your daily spending. I mean, that's easy to do now with uh, the the ability to go online and 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 have an app and and a lot of people don't know where their money's going and they're fascinated by how much they could save if they truly wanted to work on it and then bruce number three is you're so good at this in paying yourself first you know so when your paychecks come in have it disappear to all these different places that are saving money and that you won't even miss it kind of like the psychology behind, you know, the media telling us that, that things are sold out. If you don't see your money, um, and then using a retirement savings calculator, I love seeing, like, if you're disciplined and you do these baby steps, what it might be, you know, down the road. Uh, and then I can't really teach uh, avoiding temptation because I don't know that I would be the best teacher but what I can tell you is, <laughs> what I can tell you is, um, I, I feel like I work hard enough uh, and push myself to be able to be rewarded, and um, I also see money as something that if I have some extra, I would be able to help others or coach others as to uh, how you can relieve your brain from being so worried all the time because I think that's the worst thing. If you're in life and you're always worried about money, then you can't possibly be enjoying it to the fullest. Bruce? Yeah, so I just want to jump on, piggyback on a couple of things you just said. So, again, if we divide this into what are reasons people overspend, we talked about, again, it might be the way you're wired. It might be learned behavior from when you're young. doesn't mean you can't change your behavior, but it might take you know more work for some people than others. Uh, we talked about... Uh, lifestyle creep or keeping up with the Joneses. Peg, you talked about willpower, which I totally agree with and is so smart. Discipline or determination, I would substitute in there as, you know, adjectives for willpower. And it's funny, different people have willpower for different things. And I'll pick on myself. I'm, I have strong willpower when it comes to saving and investing, not overspending, I have great willpower when it comes to working out, getting my cardio and my strength every week, but I lack willpower in what goes in my mouth, diet. I'm great at exercise, not so great at diet. And it's not that I don't intellectually understand what I should and shouldn't eat. I just don't always make good choices. I lack willpower there. So I get people that lack willpower financially. So then we went into, you, you did, <clears throat> how, what, what are things that we can do to overcome some of these reasons that we overspend. And I, and I want to emphasize this. I like that you said make one financial decision at a time. Don't lump them all together. You mentioned tracking your daily spending. You, mad, you mentioned 
uh, pay yourself first or save automatically. And there, I always remind people that when, when you contribute to a 401k, you get your paycheck every two weeks, and it's, you've had your taxes taken out, you've paid for your, your benefits, your health insurance, whatever, and you've made your 401k contribution, and you live on the check that you get. If, if people had to write out a check for the amount that goes into their 401k every paycheck, millions and millions of Americans and a lot of people listening right now wouldn't do it. So this idea of pay yourself first or set up your investments and your savings with some sort of automated system so you still have enough money left to live on, that way you're making contributions to something on a systematic basis. And I think that's one of the huge keys to success. Um, and all these things, these different strategies, and you already said this also, but I really want to emphasize it. It's all part of a plan. You can, you can reduce your spending. You can save and invest more if you have a specific plan and you, and, you, and you put together this plan based on your goals and objectives, based on what's really important to you. It's easy to, it's easy to not overspend in the short term for short-term gratification if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. What's my end game here? I've got a plan so I can retire at a certain age with a certain lifestyle. And, and if I keep focused on that, that helps me not make the bad decisions along the way. Peg, you do this better than anyone I know. You talk about visualization. In fact, tell people you have pictures up around your house, right, on your refrigerator, all over. You have visualization to stimulate and motivate your goals. Well, and, and, and actually it's not like just little magnets on a refrigerator. It is a huge board that is entirely about my life. And I cut out things out of magazines, and I learned this from Tony Robbins, which if anyone listening knows, he's a motivational speaker. But he says, put the pictures on there and, and visualize the life that you want. So, you know, mine is pictures of big families and, and helping them out and the vacation home that I wanted and the things that I wanted for my daughters. And it's all about the future. And I actually, Bruce, have it hanging in my closet where I get dressed every day. So I can't miss it, right? It's right there, and, and you might just look at it for a couple minutes, but it actually reminds you what's important to you. And, um, and then it has on there retiring one day. What would that look like? You know, I don't know when that is, but it still had a vision of doing it one day, and it motivates you every single day. So some people need that vision or those pictures to remind them because they, they just don't see it every single day. And I would say every day is not a joyous day, right? We hear bad news. I've heard a lot of bad news lately with the client, my clients and their health. And, and it kind of is a, a, an automatic reminder that you're so happy that you did these baby steps to get where you are so that you feel very secure that you can enjoy life you know, um, in the future. So thanks, Bruce, for bringing that up. I think it actually is a, a great way. But if you're not a person that would do all that, then it's not in your DNA, then you have to find a different method. And hopefully maybe your significant other is good at that. And then you can do things together and bounce things off each other, Bruce. Yeah, I'll, uh, I, Denny, I know we're coming up close to break time. I'll just uh, finish the discussion with this. So, Peg, to what you just said, and again, she does not mind my saying this, 
Um, my wife, good earners, always made good income, but basically spent it all on stuff she wanted in the short term, didn't have savings and investment accounts. And to this point of visualization, not just visualizing the future, but seeing the now. And, and so she's more motivated to save and invest now because when she gets those statements and she sees how much money she has or how much the account has grown in the last quarter without her making more contributions because it's invested wisely, it's really increased her motivation to want to do that because that's now fun for her in the short term, just like shopping for new boots used to be fun. She, she likes seeing her investment account grow. So this idea of a plan and visualization absolutely can help people spend less. All right, Danny, uh, second half of the show. Hopefully we get listeners to drive it, uh, but I know we're about due for a break. Very good, Bruce and Peg. Hang on. Uh, we'll invite our listeners to call or text our studio line now at 651 651- Four six one nine two two six again. Either call or text six five one four six one nine two two six for your financial question. If you have a question midweek, you can also get in touch twenty four seven one eight 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 six advice. We'll be back on the other side with more of your money. If you have a financial question for Bruce and Peg. Call 651-461-9226. You can also send a text to that number, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Uh, Thanks for staying with us, everyone. Or if you joined us late, Peg and I have been talking about why people overspend and then what you can do about it. And some of the reasons we talked about are it, it may just be in our, in our DNA or our wiring, the way, you know, the, just the way we are, or it may be a learned behavior from our youth or a combination of both. Um, lifestyle creep or things, uh, events around us, if we're depressed or sad, spending to get something we want may make us feel better. Um, and, and, you know, it's, a, it's amazing, Peg, on a broader scale with regard to that, you look back to the crash of 2008, and for several years after the crash, people's behaviors changed. Uh, overspending went way down, saving and investing went up, and then as the market recovered and got good again, people fell right back into bad habits. Um, the pandemic, I'm sure, made a lot of people feel uh, or realize none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Let's live for today and let's go spend money on on things. And so. You know, we can see life events that that make that encourage us to spend. Great marketing that influences us. We're going to run out of this, or this is your last chance to get it. Um, So we're influenced by a lot of different things. But in terms of how we offset that, you talked about making one financial decision at a time rather than lumping them together. You talked about tracking your spending. You talked about pay yourself first or saving automatically. Um, and getting help and visualization and have a plan and try to stick to that plan and, and not be uh, influenced in the short term by external factors that might make you to you know, do things that are inconsistent with your long-term goals. Is there anything that we didn't get to in the first half that you think is relevant? And by the way, Denny and listeners, when we ask for financial questions, they can be any and all financial. It does not have to necessarily be on the topic of overspending. Anything on your mind today financially, uh, you can text or call, and we'll try to 
take any any question you have. But Peg, any last thoughts on today's topic? Yeah, I, I wanted to address uh, something that I run into often, and and that's actually just kind of a, a false sense of security. So. Here's what happens. If, if you're interested in talking to a financial advisor at Wealth Enhancement Group, we offer this free introduction meeting. And why do we offer a free meeting? To get to know one another. Like, what's important to you? What's your dreams? What's your goals? Do you have a visualization of what uh, a viewpoint of, you know, where you're headed? And normally it's uh, one person or two people that come in. Well, what happens is, is when I'm going through the uh, expenses and the savings and the assets that the people have, it's interesting in that uh, they believe they're saving, but then I can see that the credit cards are getting bigger and bigger every month. So it's kind of this false sense of saving, because if you're saving in your 401k, but yet your credit cards, you're putting all these things and not paying it off on your credit cards, then that's not really a net savings. So once again, Bruce, I just wanted to mention some people are not good at tracking all this themselves. And with everything in life, you can hire somebody to help you get organized, to, you know, help you create the vision, put into action the vision that you have. And so we as financial advisors actually get to do that, which I'm so glad that I fell into this business because I I really like helping people and seeing them follow through. Then there was one other thing that I wanted to mention today, and that is right now we all have more home equity in our houses than we've had in a long time. So, Bruce, you mentioned the 08, 09, the stock market was really bad, but so was the housing prices. So all of a sudden, this equity that we thought we had in our house also went down. Well, right now, it's kind of the opposite. Our house is worth more than we thought that it was going to be worth. And so what's happening is is, is people are either refinancing, which is a great thing, but they're also pulling out some cash and then spending that equity, which I just want to caution people listening that it, it doesn't necessarily mean that your house is going to stay at these values. And you may want to look for a different way to access wealth other than your home. Um, most people believe that their house is has grown uh, tremendously since they bought it. But we consciously, and we're talking about this today, psychologically, how do we think? Well, if we took the cost of our house, every penny that it's taken to maintain it to live in, the cost of borrowing money, because a lot of times we just forget about all the interest that we paid, it's more of a place to live. I hate to use a house as an investment, uh, termed as an investment. Uh, So I would just say, don't go out and spend all your equity in your house. And remember, spending doesn't actually make you happy. It might make you happy for a short period of time, but it usually doesn't last. Uh, just really quick, uh, I'll throw it back to Danny. Um, the the point you just made, Peg, thank you for doing that. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Great Recession or the economic crash of 08, it really went from the fall of 07 to the spring of 09, but encompassed the entire year 2008. A lot of what drove that was exactly what you were just talking about, Peg. People were assuming appreciation on their home values, 
and taking all that money out, and then when those homes went down in value, now they're underwater owing more on a house than what it's worth, and that was a big driver of that economic uh, retraction that we saw. It was it was complicated and it was multifactorial, but that was a big part of it. So your point is well taken. Don't don't spend every penny of equity that you have in your house. It's it's a good thing to have that equity, um, and and you know it can be an emergency source if you need it. But it's not a, your house is not an ATM machine. It's the place where you live. Treat it like the place where you live. All right, Denny, if we can, if we got them, let's get listeners to take us home. Absolutely, we do have. And here's the phone number. It also happens to be the text number. And uh, if you have a question, financial question this morning or today, 651-461-9226. Jim is on the horn this morning. Uh, Jim, go ahead, please. Hey, good morning, guys. I really appreciate you taking my phone call. Um, my wife recently inherited two CDs, or no, excuse me, two IRAs, and we were under the understanding we could cash them out and roll them over into another plan. Is is that accurate, or were we supposed to roll them over at the at the at the bank when we were cashing those IRAs in? Thank you for your for taking my call. Hey Jim, thank you for listening, and thank you for uh, getting uh, getting us started with a great question. So, Peg, inherited IRAs. Yes. So, if you inherit an IRA, and it sounded like it might be at a bank, one of the things that you want to do is, step one, is to re-register that IRA into your name, or if it was your wife, into her name. Then you can actually go out and seek, if you want to be in a different custodianship, and maybe not with a bank, you can open up an IRA at a different location, but then you have to take certain steps to then transfer that IRA over to that next custodian. Uh, and usually the, the custodian that has the money today, they would help you uh, make sure that you do the right steps. Or if you wanted to go to another institution, you could do some paperwork over there. Now, if you've cashed them in, you know, that gets a little bit trickier. Uh, with, nor- with regular IRAs, you have 60 days to go put that back in an IRA without having it be taxable. Right now on the top of my head, Bruce, I don't know if inherited IRAs uh, have a different uh, rule that maybe you can't cash them in and then transfer them over. Those are a little bit more touchy than just regular IRAs. Yeah, well, what we usually see, Jim and listeners, and it doesn't mean it's the only thing you can do, but usually on inherited IRAs, we don't see people or we don't recommend, quote, unquote, cashing them in, because that implies that you're, you're spending the money and that's a taxable event. And if it's a large amount of money, that can, that can create a big uh, tax issue. But so what usually happens is people will take withdrawals or distributions over a period of time. In fact, if the, if the person that you inherited from was in a situation where they had required minimum distributions, you actually are obligated to at least withdraw what their required minimum distribution would have been if they were still alive. Can you just cash it in all at once and pay the tax? Yes, but I seldom see that as the best option. 
But again, cashing in is different than transferring from one custodian to another custodian, and and then you can still take your your withdrawals at whatever pace you know you want to, making sure you satisfy the RMD requirement from that new custodian. So um, I, I guess Jim, it's hard to know how far you've already gone down the road uh, to to be able to tell you exactly what your options are going forward. But if we if we had this from the starting point when you first inherited, those are basically your options. Leave them with the current custodian, transfer to a new custodian, and then when you take money out, take withdrawals, you can take the, the whole amount or any part of, of that amount, but whatever you take out is gonna be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Peg, anything we forgot? Yeah, well, there's one thing, um, you know, the SECURE Act in January of 2020 inherited IRAs also fall under that new rule. And the new oh, yeah. rule is that you need to have it uh, liquidated by the 10th year. And so you, you, need, you need to follow some, some separate rules as well that are newer. Uh, so make sure that you understand what they are. So right, you could take it. Oh, sorry, Danny. You could no. wait 10 years and do it all at once at the end of 10 years. You could do one-tenth per year. You can do what Jim suggested, take it all up front, but you've got to liquidate that account within 10 years. Thank you, Peg. I totally forgot that. Sorry, Danny. No problem. We have callers. We have texters. Uh, let's uh, get back to the phones. I think Chaz is on the line with a question. Chaz, thanks for waiting. What's your question, please? Say thanks. Good morning. Um, I can agree with Peg there. And I'll tell you what, I don't mean to politicize this, this conversation, but just look at how our federal government spends, our state spends. There's a, there's a multi-billion dollar um, excess, uh, and what do we want to do with it? We just want to spend more of it. There's no attempt to try to pay down any of the debt, and I understand there's reasons that you can't with some of the bonding, but I think it, I agree with Deb, or Peg, excuse me, it's in the DNA of Americans to overspend. Thank you. Peg, you want to, thanks, Chaz. Peg, you want to comment on that? Well, I would have to agree. I um, And I often say on this show that there isn't enough education on how money really works. And I'll go all the way back to when kids are three feet tall, that it is the parents' responsibility, which is getting more difficult because the parents have to uh, use some discipline and teach. But then our school systems, I often talk about the power of compounding. Every single person in America should know that a penny becomes double, triple, quadruple if you just let it be and earn some interest over time. And I bet if you walked up to, you know, uh, just anybody and asked for the definition of power of compounding and how impactful that is, we don't know the answer in America to the, to the degree that we should. I would only add, and Chaz, thank you. It's it's a it's a fair point. It's absolutely a fair point, and not even taking political sides because both sides of the aisle are guilty. And government overspending, you know, it happens on every every level. It happens, you know, federally, state, locally. The only thing I will say in de- in defense of, and I'm not trying to be a devil's advocate, but to give uh, everybody um, a fair perspective, I as an individual. Saving and investing or not spending more than I make, that's so I can retire someday with a lifestyle that I, that I want and not have to worry about running out of money. Or if, you, or if you look at 
the private sector. Companies need to be profitable. I always tell people in every company I'm involved in, um, we don't exist to make money, but if we don't make money, we don't exist. If Wealth Enhancement Group is not profitable, we can't help anybody. And um, that's true of all the businesses I'm involved in. But the federal government is not a for-profit business or an individual. So there are going to be times where the, where the government needs to overspend, and I'll point to the pandemic. I think almost everybody, almost every uh, you know, uh, a qualified economist, um, both sides of the aisle, felt that the government needed to do something to help people that were stricken and, and hurting economically through no fault of their own because of the pandemic. I, I think almost every economist agrees that was the right thing to do. But then you got to pay that money back at some point, and you can't continue to overspend, which, gov which governments are often guilty of. So Chaz's point is not lost on me, and I don't disagree with it. But I also gotta, just got to say, when we equate government to us as individuals or to private businesses, it's comparing an apple to an orange. A government is not a for-profit business. A government spends what it thinks it needs to spend to give its citizenry the best chance to privately, with capitalism, uh, find their way to financial success. So what, what's, how big should government's role be? That's always going to be a debate between both political parties. And there's certainly some obvious things we can agree on, law enforcement, roads, bridges, and so forth. And there's some things that they're never going to agree on that, that, that uh, they don't think government should be involved in. But when you look at the federal debt and deficit, it, it is an unbelievably large number. So, Chas, thanks for listening and thanks for your comment. I think we have time for one more call, and we'll grab some text messages. Randy has been on the line. Randy, thank you. What is your question for Bruce and Peg? Uh, good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Peg. I've got a question on mortgages. Do you do either one of you know the average length of a house loan? Hey, Randy. Um, thanks for the question, Peg. I don't know. Do you know the average? I used to know the average, but I haven't looked at that stat for quite some time. I thought it was like seven years. That, that's what I understood at one time. And I guess my question is, you know, the banks are offering, you know, whether it be two and a half to four and a half percent interest. But how come for the first five, seven, ten years, about, say, 80 to 90 percent of your mortgage payment goes to interest. Ah. Okay, thank you, Randy. So, Peg, I get what Randy's, where Randy's coming from. If you look at any mortgage, regardless of the duration, if it's a seven-year loan, 15-year loan, 30-year loan, if you look at the payment in the early years, it's primarily interest, and in the later years, you're paying principal and not so much interest. Is that just the phenomenon of the duration of the mortgage? Well, it's actually the term um, amortization. And so you're actually paying on 100% of what you borrowed on the first month. And I would say it's probably like 99% interest in the beginning. So, and that's how amortization tables work. So they take as much interest as they can because the principal that you borrowed is higher. And as you pay down that principal, that's when the interest gets less. And so we do encourage people, if they can prepay 
or some clients take these banks up on doing two times a month versus one time a month. It's hugely impactful. And you're right, Randy, though, if you keep refinancing every seven years, then you're not making up a lot of the principal. You're not paying off a lot of the principal and you're paying a lot of interest. I wasn't as concerned about it when we were able to kind of write off the interest on our itemized uh, deductions on our tax return. But I think it's actually forced people to uh, pay attention to their mortgage and their borrowing because we can't write it off anymore. So can't change amortization. Uh, I wish it was different, but that is how it works. I think uh, we have time for a text or two. Here's one. It said, I would like your take on annuities. They seem to have a a very high fees. Texter says the death benefits aren't that great. I know you say that uh, to diversify, and it may be a piece of your plan, but is it a necessary piece? Uh, Peg, uh, we got about a minute and a half. You want to answer annuities in a minute and a half? Well, we we could take a lot more time on annuities. Um, I think annuities fit in a financial plan if I feel that they're appropriate. There's all different kinds of annuities. Some of the features and benefits are you are able to tax defer your earnings. You are able to buy fixed accounts. You are able to buy variable accounts that have maybe some stock market exposure. Um, Are they higher fees? Yes. Do the features and benefits assist the client? Maybe. If they do, then maybe the higher fees are worth it. It is something that I discuss with my clients to make sure that it's appropriate for them. Uh, Anything else, Bruce? Well, just really quickly, because we're not going to have time to take another text anyway. Um, Annuities are neither good nor bad. I think people take a side and say they're good investments or they're bad investments. It's another tool that we have available in the appropriate circumstances. And yes, some of the disadvantages can be cost and also uh, a reduction of, the, of liquidity, but they might bring some advantages to the table that are attractive to people. And we have to help our clients see the advantages and disadvantages and weigh those, do a cost benefit analysis and determine if it's appropriate for them. So, but we do use them in our practice when we think it's appropriate. Denny, I know we're about uh, out of time. Absolutely. We'll have another show next week, and we hope you can join us. But in the meantime, if you think of a financial question, uh, let's say midweek, you can always call it in, and uh, we'll record it for you and uh, pick it up and answer that on the next program. That number is 888-6-ADVICE. Again, if you uh, think of a financial question later on after the show, you can always call and leave that question at one eight 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 six advice Or if you prefer, you can always email your question to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. Again, that uh, email uh, address is yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But do call and uh, leave your question. We'll pick it up on the next show. And that number, once again, eight 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 six advice We'll see you back here next week with more of Your Money. 